Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Anybody excited about Missions Week? Anybody excited about the opportunity to impact the world with Jesus love. Good morning, Davidson. Good morning, Concord. Boy, I just want to implore you with all of my heart, would you ask God about going on a missions trip this year? Uh, We've got them out in the lobby at all of our locations. We've got people ready to answer your questions. And even now, if you want to go to your your, uh, phone or your device and cfachurch.com slash global, cfachurch.com slash global, I give you permission to look at that for the next like three minutes. And then when I start preaching, you got to put it away. All right. But uh, just so many, so many opportunities. My life was radically impacted when I was 17 years old in the Dominican Republic. I had, I had an encounter with Jesus that would forever change the course of my history. You will not come back the same. I promise you that. Um, I also promise you uh, what Chris Oakley told you last week, that as soon as you step out and do something for God, the enemy's going to come with all kinds of excuses, right? You heard, you heard, uh, who's going to watch the kids? How am I going to get the money? All, all of these things, but uh, I just want to encourage you to, to consider being a part of what God is doing around the world. We've got some, uh, some of our 20-somethings, some of our students at both of our locations that have uh, some of them more recently than others, but, but have spent some extended time overseas. So I'm going to ask them to stand in just a moment. But Kristen Ellis spent two months in El Salvador. Emma Brownlee, three months in Bolivia. Debbie Garcia spent nine months in inner city Los Angeles at the Dream Center. Mackenzie Burke just returned from six months in India. And then Harrison Skay, one year in El Salvador over there in Davidson. I'm going to ask all of these 20-somethings if they would stand and can we just express our love and appreciation to them. So proud of you guys and all that God continues to do in you and I understand that upon return uh, Mackenzie picked up an engagement ring as well so congratulations to these guys. Hey, I'm not promising that you'll get engaged if you go on a missions trip. I'm just throwing it out there. It's happened. It's happened. Uh, God, God is up to something. Hey, lot, uh, two weeks, three weeks ago now in our 365 um, student ministry service, they had a, a missions emphasis service. And uh, it's dangerous to go over there. Do you, do you know that? Like, I, I went over there. I went over there to pull out my phone uh, one week and take an Instagram shot and walk out. And before I knew it, like a minute later, my phone was in my pocket. I got both hands raised. Pastor Justin is bringing a word. I mean, God, God is moving among our students' parents. I can't encourage you enough. Make Wednesday nights a priority. I get it. I get it. I'm a dad. Homework and bedtimes and all that. But please make Wednesday nights a priority for your family. God is moving in the children and the youth. And so two weeks ago, we had a guest speaker, and they gave an invitation at the end of the message, and 28 students responded for a call to missions upon their life. So 
so God, God is just doing some amazing things in missions, and, and you hear it said every week, but I just want to remind you that it is in partnership with your giving. Uh, with, with your giving. So uh, a week ago, several of us were uh, uh, at our district minister's retreat, and they always bring up the different missionaries who are home on, on uh, I, they call it itineration. So in our system, in our tribe of the Assemblies of God, missionaries like Chris and Lene last week, they'll be overseas for three or four years, and then they'll return to connect to churches and try to re-raise their financial support. And the quicker they can do that, the quicker they can get back to the location that God has called them. So think of, think of if every four years I had to go away for a year, just the difficulty of then reacclimating with the work or any of our pastors. And so it's a great system. Our missionaries are so well, taken, so well taken care of. But I'm just saying the quicker, the more that we can give to missions, the quicker they go. And, and, and they brought up a brand new Chi Alpha missionary. Chi Alpha is our missionary arm to the campuses of uh, uh, like NC State and, and UNCC and Davidson and different things like that. And so they brought up a brand new, brand new North Carolina missionary to NC State. And I knew, where, I knew where Pastor Rick was going with this. He was going to ask churches to commit uh, to be a part of that. And I couldn't wait. I took my Bible and I put it to the side and I took my pen and I put it to the side because I wanted to be the first pastor to jump up on my feet to represent you guys to say that we're all in. And here's the thing, I can do that because I know that the money is already there. And Pastor Doug, aren't you supposed to ask? Isn't there a committee? Yes, technically I am supposed to ask. And but they always say yes because the money because the money's there. And so can we thank God for his continued faithfulness through the body of Christ that is giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, and you're changing the world. Last year, church. $800,000 to missions and to the gospel going around the world for the glory of God. So if CFA has been your home for a year or more, you know that this is typically the week for probably 60 years that we've done missions faith promises. But here's what I'm going to say. We're not going to do those. You say, Pastor Doug, are we backing down? No, we're ramping up. We believe God has connected us with something that is going to take this to a whole new level, and I can't wait to reveal it to you. And so if you'll come back in January, we'll reveal that to you. And here's what I'll ask. Just would you continue with your, your current missions faith promise and know that those are, those are salvation dollars, church, and we can't wait to unveil the next layer of what we really sense that God is doing uh, in missions. Well, if you'll take out your copy of the Word of God this morning and turn in the book of Deuteronomy to chapter 9, let me rewind two weeks ago. I, I, uh, we preached a message and we told the story Israel had just come off a colossal failure, an embarrassing failure, a catastrophic failure, a post salvation failure. So God had uh, delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. They'd walked through the Red Sea. They were free. The, the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was gone. Their past had 
been taken care of. They were covered by the blood of the lamb, like just this amazing thing. And so the leader of Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And God says, I'm going to begin to form you into community. It was, like their, it was like the initiation of their groups. So God says, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to find life. I want you to find freedom. And now I want you to find family. And in the context of family, he was kind of laying down the house rules for the, for the formation of this new community. And God is excited. And Moses is excited. And Moses comes down the mountain. And he's ready to see the congregation just hungry, ready to receive the word, ready to write, ready to take take notes, ready to engage with the word of God. And instead, he found them attributing the works of God to this golden calf that they had formed. And it only took 40 days for them to turn their backs on God and begin worshiping something else. But we said, God, and, and so the enemy, here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to freeze you in your failure, right? He wants the enemy, the goal of the enemy is to find you at the worst point and the worst decision that you've ever made in your life and press tag freeze. It's freeze tag. So tag, freeze, freeze you in your failure, freeze you in your failure. But we said that God is speaking this over you. So these were three statements just right out of the word of God that God wants you to know this morning, even after your failure, that his plan A promise for your life is not diminished one bit. God wants somebody to know this morning that he still longs to be close to you. And God wants somebody to know that you can get up and resume the journey. But I wonder if there was anybody that thought that just had this little bit of thought of, wait a, wait a second, Pastor, there's, there's got to be more to the story than that. Like, that didn't just happen, right? God didn't just, this was not an episode of Daddy Daycare, all right? Dad didn't return and find the kitchen in a mess and the children body slamming each other in the kitchen and just kind of smile and like, oh, you knuckleheads, this is good comedic relief. That didn't happen, right? Like God didn't come down the mountain and find the Israelites worshiping an idol and say, oh, you kids, you messed up. Come on. Like God is love, but God is just, right? And so there, there are standards and there are, there are rules and there's holiness. And so this didn't, this gap between what Israel deserved and God's response in love, this didn't just happen. So what happened in that gap? Because what happened in that gap was significant. I mean, God was ready to wipe them out. God was ready to, in fact, he told Moses, it was a pretty good, uh, would, would have potentially been a pretty good leadership elevation for Moses. He was ready to say that whole Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob thing, I'm done with that. Moses, you're my new guy. I'm going to annihilate the Israelites, and we're going to start over with you. And so you can imagine that maybe Moses is like, yeah, start over with me. It won't be the promises of Abraham. It'll be the promises of Moses. Thousands of years later, children at Vacation Bible School will not sing a song about Father Abraham had many sons, right arm, left leg, spin around. They'll be singing about Father Moses, and maybe he got a little excited about that, but even in the midst of personal gain, here's what happens. I want you to watch Moses' response, and more than watching Moses' response this morning, I want, you to, I want you to catch his heart. Because I think if we can catch the heart of Moses, the limit 
to what God will do in and through you and in and through CFA to change your family and your neighborhood and your school and your office and your situation and this community and this nation and the world is unlimited. So let's look at the word this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Moses' response, that is why I threw myself down before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. For the Lord said he would destroy you, and I prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, please don't destroy them. They're your own people. They're your special possession whom you redeemed from Egypt by your mighty power and your strong hand. Please, God, overlook the stubbornness, overlook the awful sin of these people, and remember instead your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you destroy these people, the Egyptians will say the Israelites died because the Lord wasn't able to bring them to the land he promised to give them. Or they might say he destroyed them because he hated them. He deliberately took them out into the wilderness to slaughter them. How many of you know that God gets a bad rap? How many of you know that God gets blamed for things that are not his fault? And how many of you know that God does not need our help to misrepresent his name to other people? So Moses is saying, God, you got you to gotta show up for who you really are. But they are your people and your special possession whom you brought out of Egypt by your great strength and your powerful arm. So no, it didn't just happen. Here's what, cha- here's what changes the course of history is that somebody stood in the gap. Somebody stood in the gap, and I just want to ask this morning, CFA, is it possible? Is it possible on an October morning in 2018, is it possible that history once again in our community could be shifted if one person would stand in the gap? High school student, is it possible that your school this year could be turned if one person would stand in the gap? Is it possible that your office could be changed if one person stood in the gap? Is it possible that Christmas this year around the dinner table in your living room could be changed if one person stood in the gap? Is it possible that entire cities and entire nations and entire villages can be changed if one person will stand in the gap? The gap. Here's how. Here's what. Let me give you how to pray. Number one, pray this. God, would you please remember who they are over what they have done? This isn't a parenting message. But parents, this is just a good reminder. This is a good reminder. When you pick your kids up from Kids World. And they walk out, and they should be praising Jesus, but they're fighting with each other. This is, this is a good reminder when somebody cuts you off, and you didn't even make it out of the church parking lot. This is a good, this is a good reminder when you take that energy. Yeah, I'm going to change my office, and the first person that you want to change is the person that gossips about you. This is a good reminder. Because there is a difference between who people are and what people have done. 
This is the first part of Moses' prayer. I prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, don't destroy them. God, they belong, they belong to you. You know, it's your argument to your wife when your children are misbehaving. These are your kids. You, you did this. I didn't do this by myself. God, these, God, these are your people. They are your special possession. They are your special possession. Look at the, do you see the dichotomy here between how they're behaving and who they are? So how are they behaving? Stubborn and awful sin. Who are they? They still belong to God. They still belong to God. Can I tell somebody whose teenager is rebelling this morning? I know that their behavior is one thing, but who they are is another thing. They are still God's special possession. He still died for them. He still has a calling for them, even when you want to kill them. They're your own people, God. They're your special possession. And God, you redeem them. See, God doesn't excuse people's behavior but he also doesn't define them by their behavior. He wants to remind us this morning that as we stand in the gap for that cousin, as you stand in the gap for that great-grandchild, as you stand in the gap for that niece or that nephew, as you stand in the gap for your brother, as you stand in the gap for the neighbor that just moved in across the street, as you stand in the gap, as you stand in the gap for people that, that they are God's children. They may be rebelling. They may be in awful sin. No, I'm not calling them God's children, meaning they're Christians. But everybody, everybody, God's got a bunch of kids. Some kids are found kids and some kids are lost kids. And our job is to go out and get all the lost kids and tell them they're found kids. And tell them you've got a father that loves you. You've got a father that hasn't given up on you. You've got a father that if you will accept Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven that wants to enter, wants you to enter into eternity someday. Number two, this is, make this a part of your prayer. The first part of the prayer, I want to focus on um, people that you have a relationship with. The second part, I want to focus this on our prayer for the world. God, remember your promise over their rebellion. Remember your promise over their rebellion. Let this be our prayer for the unreached people groups around the world. Please, God, please overlook the stubbornness and the awful sin. And remember instead your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some terrible sin going on across the globe. Genocide, and human trafficking, and terrorism, and the list goes on and on and I think it's in times when those situations, when more gunshots are Fired, when another bomb goes off, when another atrocity is committed in the name of whatever, that, that we turn to Genesis 12 and we remember because it says, God, God, remember your promise. And it was the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what is the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? This is the original promise in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you and treat you with contempt. And here it is all the families on earth will be blessed 
through you. See, God's promise has always been, whether it's Israel or the church, that the gospel gets out to India that the gospel gets out to Bolivia, that the gospel gets out to El Salvador, that the gospel gets out to Muslims giving their hearts to Jesus in Budapest, Hungary, that the gospel gets out to Egypt, that the gospel gets out to the remote villages in China through us. I don't, I, I don't under, like, I understand a lot of, like, sin is enticing and, and all of that. And so part of me, yeah, like, I, get, I can get rebellion. I can get why people get suckered into sin. I can get all of that. Here's what I don't get. Don't ever tell me I don't want to serve God because Christianity is boring. Like, read any page of the Bible. This is the greatest adventure that you could be called to in life. Have a three-minute conversation with any of these students. How God showed up on the streets of inner city Los Angeles. How God provided halfway across the world in India. How God is bringing people to him and children to him on the streets of Bolivia. This thing is an adventure church, and we get to be a part of it. God could have used angels. He could have used billboards. He could have used social media. He could have used a lot of things, but he's using us in these days to get his gospel through prayer, through giving, through going, through, see, we all play a part, right? This is team, team church, team kingdom of God. And in this house, it's team CFA. So some pray and some give and some go on a short-term trip and some go for six months and some go for a lifetime. But we are in this thing because the mission of God is still the same that it's always been. Jesus reminds his church, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's why we do this thing. Here's the third prayer. And it's the prayer. It's a significant prayer. So um, we had this series set for, for months, if, if not a year. Um, and before the, the Sunday before election day, the Lord the, the Lord saw fit to do this. And so I wanna I want to I wanna be careful here. Um, I wanna teach biblically, and I'm not this isn't it really isn't political at all. Um, but it's but uh, so I wanna teach you biblically, but I also want to give you um, some of my opinion. And I'm going to tell you the difference, and I'll always try to tell you the difference, because I, I will always do my best never to use the pulpit of God to give you opinion. And it's not controversial opinion, it's not uh, political opinion, but it's, I think it'll show you the philosophy that our world operates in and how we can reach them, okay? So, so look at, the, look at this, this prayer. And I, let me, let me give it, bring it back to a point of agreement, because I can tell you're nervous now. <laughs> How many of you would just say that our nation is messed up? Like, I don't care what side you're on. Like, our na there's problems, right? How many of you, like, 30 or over would say, Pastor Doug, I know it's always been bad, but it seems, it sure seems worse than it's ever been before, right? Like, so there, there's that. So how, as a, as a child of God, how do you live? Like, how do you respond to that? And I don't have all the answers, but here's where we start. We beg and we plead on our knees for our nation. That's where we start. If you destroy these people, God, as Moses, remember Moses is face down. 
You know, maybe there are too many leaders whose face wants to be in front of a camera instead of face down. And maybe there's too many Christians whose face wants to be in front of their social media account instead of face down. And I wonder if we would see more change if our face would not be looking at anybody else because the only thing that you can see face down is the own tears that run off of your cheeks for the lost people than when you're face down. And so that's, that's Moses' posture. Just saying, that's Moses' posture. And his prayer is, God, if you destroy these people. This is, a, this is a strange prayer because these are the people that just made Moses look pretty bad as a leader. Hey, Moses, you got a job, lead these people, be their pastor. Like, and when Moses comes down the mountain, all million plus of them are worshiping an idol. So they just kind of undercut Moses' leadership a little bit. Probably having a little, uh, little second guessings about that burning bush experience, right? Like, oh, was I really called there? I mean, his own brother is the one that formed the calf. It's like, it's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> And Moses is face down. God, if you destroy these people, the Egyptians will say the Israelites died because the Lord wasn't able to bring them out to the land he had promised them. Or they might say he destroyed them because he hated them and he deliberately took them into the wilderness to slaughter them. Moses, Moses finds himself posturing, posturing for renewal and revival of his nation. So the promise before was God take your promise to the world. Use us to reach the world. You see that? But this prayer is for the nation. This prayer is for the nation. Um, now here's where I'm going to give you my opinion. There's, there's three locations. There's three kind of, uh, I'm going to use these, these cities as metaphors for what speaks into our culture. Um, you have Hollywood, which is representation of the uh, entertainment industry. You have Washington, D.C., which is representative of our policies and laws. And I think, and, and hear me rightly so, for, for decades now, the church has been kind of focused on that. So remember, remember kind of when it used to be Hollywood. We're not so anti-Hollywood anymore. But we were, you know, Hollywood is evil. Hollywood, Hollywood, if we can just get Hollywood is destroying this country. And let me just, this is my opinion. I don't think Hollywood is evil. I don't think Hollywood has any morals. Like, they don't have any morals. And I don't, like, I just mean, like, I mean that, like, they're in it for money. Right? So, so. I don't, they'll, they'll make fireproof, and then they'll make Halloween. They don't care. Really. They just want, they just want you to eat popcorn, and they just want, they just want that. I'm not saying, it's, it's a business. Do you understand that? So I'm not saying they're, I'm not saying, are there evil people as part of that? Of course they are, but it's an amoral business. Okay, they're just, they're just in it for the money. They'll put, what, they'll put out whatever story you want to go see. Um, so, so. Is it important? Are our entertainment values important? Of course they are. Is it important as Christian artists that we step into Hollywood and tell stories of beauty, truth, and goodness and redemptive narratives? Of, co of course. So all of that is important. But in, and, and then we kind of got locked in on, on D.C. because that's where our laws and our policies come from. And is it important for Christians to be engaged in local state and national politics absolutely because we engage as citizens 
and we engage as citizens with a biblical point of view. And so please, please vote. Please, please vote. Get out there. All of that. Do those things. But here's, here's my hypothesis. So you have Hollywood, you have Washington, but then you have Cambridge. So Pastor Doug, what's Cambridge? Cambridge is where Harvard is. And there are multiple colleges and universities that claim to be the first university in America. And I don't know who's right. I don't think any of them knows who, know who's right. But Harvard is one of them, and you all know who Harvard is, so I'm going to use them as an example. So I would just say this, that Hollywood reflects culture. Washington, D.C. implements culture, but Cambridge shapes culture. It's it's actually our universities that are indoctrinating our 20-somethings, and then they walk out of a university with a philosophy on life that then they go to D.C., and they go to Hollywood, and they go to places of business, and they go to places of little uh, local and civil government, and they act out of the philosophy which they have been indoctrinated in in the university. Does that make sense? So, so here's what I would say, church. If we're going to shift culture, do we need to engage Hollywood? Of course we do. If we're going to shift culture, do we need to engage Washington? Of course we do. But if we want to get to the root of the cause and really turn this thing, it's at the university level where we have to engage. And that's why Southeastern University at CFA Church is so important, because we're saying to our 20-somethings, we are going to see it used to be, do you know how Harvard started out? Harvard and just about every other Ivy League school was a Bible college. Training people on fire, revival, like students for ministry. That's how these, th that's how these things started. And so if you were to study, and then they started educating uh, doctors and lawyers and scientists, which was still fine because every other ology was a branch of theology. So if you wanted to go into psychology, first you learn theology and then you learn psychology and your psychology was out of your understanding of the Bible. And if you wanted to engage in economics, you, you, you uh, studied economics, but first you studied theology. And so if we can reclaim the university, if we, through Chi Alpha, through Southeastern, through these things, and if we get to the heart and if we start taking students like are sitting on the front row and saying we believe in the call that God has on your life and if we start giving to them we will change this world but it takes somebody to stand in the gap thank you so much for joining us here at CFA Church it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home for more information about this community or to find out how you can connect Simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.